You want to walk in the new life that's yours in Christ, putting off the old self and being renewed in your thinking and putting on the new self? It'll only happen if you come to grips with what's here. We can only successfully live out the commands Paul has given us if we do what he explains in these verses. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Do you want to live a life that fulfills your calling in Christ? Do you have a clear understanding as to what that is? Hello there, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part three of a series titled Learning to Use God's Armor. Last time in our studies of Ephesians Last time, in our study of Ephesians 6, you discovered that if you're a Christian, you are in a war, and you have to develop the mindset of a warrior. It might surprise you to learn that the Christian life is war. All around you and in your mind, there is a silent, invisible war that is occurring. It is a relentless, never-ending war, at least on this side of eternity. And as you'll learn today, your only hope of winning that war is by the strength of Christ and the armor of God. Keep all that in mind as we join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. As Christians, we're in a war. And we have to develop the mindset of a soldier. Perhaps nowhere is the mindset of a soldier more powerfully and beautifully portrayed than in a personal letter that was written on July 14, 1861 by a Rhode Island soldier named Sullivan Ballou. I came across this letter a number of years ago. I think I shared it with you then. I saw it again, read it again recently, and I think it's appropriate for us this morning. Sullivan Ballou wrote to his wife, My very dear Sarah, the indications are very strong that we shall move in a few days, perhaps tomorrow. Lest I should not be able to write you again, I feel impelled to write lines that may fall under your eye when I shall be no more. If it is necessary that I should fall on the battlefield for my country, I am ready. I have no misgivings about or lack of confidence in the cause in which I am engaged, and my courage does not halt or falter. I know how strongly American civilization now leans upon the triumph of the government and how great a debt we owe to those who went before us through the blood and suffering of the revolution. And I am willing, perfectly willing, to lay down all my joys in this life to help maintain this government and to pay that debt. I cannot describe to you my feelings on this calm summer night when 2,000 men are sleeping around me, many of them enjoying the last, perhaps, before that of death. And I, suspicious that death is creeping behind me with his fatal dart, I am communing with God, my country, and you. Sarah, My love for you is deathless. It seems to bind me to you with mighty cables that nothing but omnipotence could break. 
And yet my love of my country comes over me like a strong wind and bears me irresistibly on with all these chains to the battlefield. The memories of the blissful moments I have spent with you come creeping over me, and I feel most gratified to God and to you that I have enjoyed them so long. And hard it is for me to give them up and burn to ashes the hopes of future years when, God willing, we might still have lived and loved together and seen our sons grow up to honorable manhood around us. I have, I know, but few and small claims upon divine providence. But something whispers to me, perhaps it is the wafted prayer of my little Edgar, that I shall return to my loved ones unharmed. If I do not, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I love you. And when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. But oh, Sarah, if the dead can come back to this earth and flit unseen around those they loved, I shall always be near you in the garish day and in the darkest night, amid your happiest scenes and your gloomiest hours, always, always. And if there be a soft breeze upon your cheek, it shall be my breath, or the cool air fans your throbbing temple, it shall be my spirit passing by. Sarah, do not mourn me dead. Think I am gone and wait for you, for we shall meet again. Oh, Sarah, I wait for you there. Come to me and lead there our children. Sullivan. Sullivan Ballou, who wrote that beautiful, amazing letter, died just one week later at the first battle of Bull Run. He understood the mindset of a soldier with all of the joys that he participated in and appreciated about this life, he never lost sight of the fact that his first duty, his first calling, was as a soldier. That's a mindset that we too must have, a mindset that Paul lays out for us in Ephesians chapter 6. And I invite you to turn there with me again. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. 
Last week, as we began just to get the sweep of this passage, we discovered that contained within these verses, there are several concepts that sort of lie beneath and support everything Paul says in this paragraph. And without understanding those concepts, it's really hard to grasp what Paul is saying here. So in brief, let me remind you of those foundational concepts we discovered last week. Number one, the Christian life is war. All around us and within our minds, there is a silent, invisible war that is going on. It is a relentless, never-ending war from the moment we're born in Christ until the moment we die. Number two, we are in this war together. There's no such thing as a war fought between two people. We are merely foot soldiers, fellow soldiers together in God's army, and we are fellow soldiers. Number three, the war is between God and Satan. Number four, the nature of the war, therefore, is spiritual, not physical. We're not called to raise arms on some sort of holy jihad. The war is a spiritual war. Number five, the war between God and Satan is therefore, because it's spiritual, a battle of ideas and thoughts. The battle that's going on between God and Satan when it comes to us is waged in our minds. It's a battle of ideas and thoughts. Number six, every idea in the universe, every thought that passes through our minds can be traced either to God or to Satan. Ultimately, every concept, every idea, every thought is either the truth and traces back to God or it's a lie and traces back to Satan. There are no neutral thoughts or ideas. Number seven, Christ forever defeated Satan and his demon army at the cross. The good news is Christ already won the war. We are merely in a sort of mopping up operation, but it will be intense fighting throughout our lives. But the end result is already decided. Number eight, our only hope of winning the war is the strength of Christ and the armor of God. That's where we left off last time. Today, we come to our exposition of the text itself. Those are the sort of foundational concepts that underlie this whole passage. But this morning, I want us to begin to work our way through the text itself. The theme of the paragraph that we've just read together is this. In the war of the Christian life, we can only stand firm in the strength of Christ and the armor of God. If that sounds very similar to the last point we made last week, it's because it is. That's really the point Paul was pressing to, and that's the theme of this passage. Let me say it again. In the war that is the Christian life, we can only stand firm in the strength of Christ and the armor of God. Now, as Paul develops that theme through these 11 verses, and by the way, all 11 of these verses are part of this paragraph, you might be tempted to think that verses 18 to 20 about prayer is sort of a distinct paragraph. It's not. In the Greek text, it doesn't even have its own verb. It's related to this text, as we'll see when we get there. 
It's part of this passage on the armor. So these 11 verses together develop the theme, and they divide into three parts. Let me just show you the flow of the passage. The first part is verses 10 to 13. I've entitled that, Understand Our Orders. Here we have a sort of general explanation of what our duty is as soldiers. Understand our orders. The second part I've entitled, Put on God's Armor. In verses 14 to 17, we have a detailed exposition or explanation of what God's armor really is. Put on God's armor. The third part comes in verses 18 to 20, and I've entitled that, Work on Our Attitude. Work on our attitude. If we're going to be soldiers in God's army, we've got to have the right mindset, the right attitude for, for fighting. And we'll discover that that attitude, in a word, is dependence, manifested by prayer. Today, we ha- only have time to begin to look at the first part of this passage. If we're going to stand firm in the war that is the Christian life, number one, we must understand our orders understand our orders. We are soldiers. The whole passage is built on the metaphor that we are soldiers in the Lord's army. And as soldiers, we have been, been given very specific orders. Now, let me show you how verses 10 to 13, in sort of understanding our orders, how this breaks down. Paul begins this part by giving us an overarching command in verses 10 and the first part of verse 11, which we will look at today. Then in the second part of verse 11, which Lord willing we'll look at next week, he tells us the objective of our orders. What is it we're trying to accomplish? What's the mission? In verse 12, he identifies the enemy that we're fighting. And then in verse 13, he gives us a summary of our orders as he finishes off this first section. Understand our orders. So let's look first at the overarching command. Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Now, the first thing we have to resolve is how does this passage, how does this section relate to the rest of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus? As I noted last week, the final section of Ephesians begins with this verse. That's obvious because Paul begins this section with the word, finally. He uses this word in the same way in five other letters as he begins to sort of wrap things up with the last matters that he wants to address. But what follows the word finally here in Ephesians is not merely another item in a list of subjects he wants to hit. Instead, it is the practical application that equips us to do everything else he has commanded us in this letter. How do we know that? Well, this paragraph that I've just read to you is filled with themes that Paul has already touched on and developed throughout the letter. And here at the end, this isn't like a piece of patchwork quilt just sort of tagged on. Instead, he takes those themes from throughout the letter, he draws them together, as it were, into a perfect package, and he presents the truth in this extended metaphor of us as a soldier. He's trying to help us see 
the reality of how all of those things he's talked about become practical in our lives. And I think we'll see that as we work our way through this passage. So this paragraph then is not disconnected from what has gone before. It's not sort of badly stitched or stapled on at the end, and it really has no relationship to the rest of what we've studied. It is in many ways the application of all that has come before. In fact, can I put it this way? We can only successfully live out the commands Paul has given us in his letter to the church in Ephesus if we do what he explains in these verses. You want to live a life that understands your calling in Christ, that understands your true position? You will only be able to do that if you understand what's in this passage. You want to live in unity, not only in your family, but in the church and with the people around you? You will only be able to accomplish that through understanding this passage. Do you want to walk in the new life that's yours in Christ, putting off the old self and being renewed in your thinking and putting on the new self? It'll only happen if you come to grips with what's here. Do you want to walk in love so that your, your relationships are characterized by honesty and integrity and concern for the other person? That'll only happen if you come here first. Do you want to have a home that honors God? Do you want to have a husband and wife relationship that pleases Him, a parent-child relationship that reflects the divine intention? Do you want to be the right kind of employee, the right kind of employer? All of those things ultimately funnel into this last section where Paul tells us how. These are the instructions for how to do everything we've read and studied in the rest of the letter. So it's absolutely crucial that we understand what's going on in this paragraph. Now, what does his overarching command mean? Verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord. Now, I want to take this apart in its pieces, and then we'll put it back together. But I want you to see, first of all, that this is a command. This is an imperative. There is something we are commanded to do. But before you can fully appreciate what it is we're commanded to do, I need to give you a brief lesson in grammar. You thought school hadn't started yet. I'm sorry. It's about to start. I was a, uh, an instructor of English at the college level, and uh, I taught my students these very things. But you need to understand this. The theology of the Bible is contained in two places. The meaning of the words and the grammar. That's where the truth lies. And you can only get to the truth as you understand the meaning of the words and you understand the grammar, how those words are interrelated to one another. Grammar is very important. That's, a, that's my English speech for the day. Now, <laughs> let's get to the point. In many languages, including both Greek and English, verbs can have what is called both an active and passive voice. When we say that a verb is active or passive, we're talking about the relationship between the subject of the sentence, the grammatical subject, and the doer of the action. What is the relationship between those two? If the verb is active, it means that the subject of the sentence is actually doing the action. Take this sentence. Tom preached a sermon. Tom preached a sermon. Now, in that sentence, obviously, the verb is preached. The subject is, the grammatical subject is Tom. 
Since the subject of the sentence is performing the action, it's active. But what if I said this? What if I said, Tom was preached a sermon? Tom was preached a sermon. Tom is still the subject. But in that case, I am not doing the action. I am being acted upon. We're not told in the little sentence I gave you who was the real doer of the action. Might be a fellow elder. Might be Sheila. Not that she would do that, just that I would deserve that. But regardless of who is doing the action, I'm not doing the action. I'm receiving the action. That means it's passive. Now, in English, we know a verb is passive because of the construction. It has a helping verb, to be, and then the participle form of the verb. In Greek, the way you know it's passive is by the ending that's tagged on to the word. In the original language of verse 10, and here's where I'm coming. In the original language of verse 10, the verb translated be strong is passive. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us the subject is not doing the action. What's the subject? Well, in any command, any imperative, the subject is an understood you. If I say, get up, or if I say, wake up, which I hope isn't necessary, but if I were to say that, the understood subject is you. You wake up, you get up. So here's a command, be strong. He's saying, you be strong. Now, putting all that grammar together, we can literally translate verse 10 like this. You be strengthened. You say, wait a minute, Tom, why didn't the NAS translators translate it that way? Well, because be strengthened isn't good English. We don't really talk that way. And because the rest of the verse is going to make the point as well. So they chose be strong, as did the ESV. Now, why is all this important? By the way, I'm not out here alone. The leading commentators agree that this is a passive voice. Why is it important? Because a huge amount of theology rests on the fact that this verb is passive. If it were active, let me tell you what Paul would be telling you and me. If it were active, here's what Paul would be saying. Somewhere inside your own soul, I want you to find the personal energy, the personal power to become spiritually strong so that you can stand firm against Satan and his armies. You need to somehow muster within yourself, within your own mind, enough willpower, enough resolve, so that you, through your own strength, can be strong enough to live out everything I've told you in this letter. Thank God that's not what Paul is saying. Because you don't have the ability to do that, and neither do I. Instead, the verb is passive. That means Paul is telling us to cooperate in some way so that, are you ready for this? An external power, a strength outside of us, comes in and makes us strong. The verb be strengthened is in the present tense. That means it's not something you do once. It's not like salvation or some sort of switch you flip and it's done. It's a continual process. He's saying throughout your Christian life, I want you to do something, and we'll learn what that something is in a moment. I want you to do something that allows an external strength to come into your soul and strengthen you for the battle.
That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series, Learning to Use God's Armor. Tom will have part four for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, Tom, you closed today's program exploring how we as believers are supposed to overcome temptation. How about expanding on that point a little bit? Well, we have to understand that as human beings, every single one of us faces temptation. You are tempted. I am tempted every day. Have we always had the capacity, the power, the strength to say no to those temptations? Absolutely not. But Jesus always has. We read that in the Gospels. We understand his capacity to say no to temptation. We need to be strong, not in our own strength, but in the power of his might. And that's really what we're learning in this series. We're learning how to put on his armor. It's not our armor. It's his armor. And yet we can put it on and successfully resist the temptation that comes to us, just as our Lord resisted the temptation that came to him. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.